This week, the federal government closed a substantial part of the book on its investigation into the largest labor union corruption scandal since mob control over the Teamsters Union was broken. Federal prosecutors in Michigan announced that they had reached a settlement with the United Auto Workers to establish an oversight regime and adopt reforms to increase members' ability to hold union leadership accountable. Joining me to recap how we got here and to break down the settlement is Sean Higgins, Richard's research fellow at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, specializing in labor and employment. Uh, Sean, before we begin, can you let our listeners know a little bit about your background and work with CEI? Yeah, I'm a research fellow there at the Institute. I uh, started uh, back in uh, just May of this year. Um, for uh, eight years prior to that, I was a uh, reporter with the Washington Examiner, where I covered labor, employment, uh, trade policy, and uh, other economic uh, political issues for them. Prior to that, I was Washington correspondent for Investors Business Daily for 12 years, where uh, labor was also a major part of my beat. I've been covering this issue um, uh, fairly uh regularly for about 15 years now um, and this is a uh, this the, U, the UAW case is, is a particularly uh, fascinating one uh, uh, in, in terms of what's going on with the, the movement and where it is so for those for our listeners who may not be uh, as familiar with what's been going on for several years now with the UAW can you give us just some background on the scandal and what sort of underlay it yeah, um, it was broken back in 2017 when federal prosecutors started looking into a, a worker training center that was jointly run by a Fiat Chrysler and UAW, um, basically both were contributing uh, funds to this uh, center, which was obviously for the purposes of worker training. And uh, they discovered that basically the Fiat Chrysler was giving kickbacks uh, that were supposed to go to the worker center to um, the UAW's uh, team, including the people who were uh, involved in contract negotiations with the automaker. So basically, they were using this to keep them, quote unquote, the, fat and happy. Yeah, yeah. Fat, fat and happy, uh, I think, was the, was the quote that that the the head it was the head of labor relations for Fiat Chrysler was one of the guys involved in this right yeah, it it was it was yes it they were the, the worker center grew sort of out of that uh you know the union the union's connection with the automakers and the people who worked together this was one of the things that they negotiated and discussed and it quickly turned into a means for um Fiat Chrysler to funnel money to the UAW leadership in theory in exchange for uh, better terms during the contract negotiations. Basically, the UAW officials were selling out their own members uh, in exchange for money from the automakers. And, and of course, the settlement that was announced this week is has is only the most recent federal action involving or against the union. Uh, my understanding is that at least two UAW national presidents have are have either pleaded guilty or faced charges yeah um gary jones and uh dennis williams i believe is the yeah, other dennis one williams is the other one and there's also a vice president and uh about uh, a dozen other uh, top uh officials and, and some top people also at uh, fiat chrysler um the auto companies of course claim that this was done completely without their understanding or, or knowledge that's what they claim yeah you, know, you can claim. you can judge the reality of that for yourself um so then what did federal prosecute what was the announcement this week uh basically the announcement was that they've they've uh, finished the case they've settled it uh uaw will pay back um about 15 million uh that was supposed to go into the worker center uh will be recovered um and they will be under federal uh 
monitoring for about six years, and they will be obligated to hold a vote on uh, reforming the union's uh, election procedures. Basically, the union has this delegate system where uh, representatives from the individual locals vote on who the president is. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of an electoral college. You elect a slate of delegates who then go to the national convention, and then they vote for the actual union president. Exactly. And the, the idea is the, you know, what the government has said is, well, We'll see if the the uh, UAW members want to actual direct elections. Uh, and and of, adopting uh, and adopting direct moving from a delegate system to direct elections was part of the Teamsters settlement when the Teamsters got got oversight in the early nineties in the late eighties early nineties. Yeah, I mean they're using they're using that uh, settlement as a uh, template for this one. And then, I mean, just kind of to, to get where all this came from, I found some of the particulars of the corruption scandals that have been exposed over the past several years, equal parts horrifying and hilarious. Again, you know, we, we were discussing, you know, to what extent the automakers knew what was going on. Well, you know, one of the investigators found that the now now deceased head of Fiat, of big Fiat, Fiat Chrysler's parent, Sergio Marchione, gave a senior UAW officer who was negotiating with Fiat Chrysler uh, a Terra Cielo Mare chronograph watch, a really fancy watch as a gift. And of course, that gift came with assurances that it was worth less than $50 when it was in fact worth about $2,000. Right. <laughs> uh, just so that the UIW official wouldn't have to report it. Uh, any of the particulars that stand out that you know, of the of the corruption that was ongoing that stand out to you? Uh, just just the just the extent to it. I mean, the fact that you had two back to back presidents of the UAW that were both involved in this, and you know the, the, that this was happening as they were going into you know contract negotiations with the automaker. Um, yeah, the, the thing the thing about you know the UAW and the big three automakers is uh, these guys have been you know together in a sort of marriage for for 70 years and they they the lines become really blurry between the union and the automakers i remember during the um uh you know the the during the recession in 2008 when all the automakers came to dc to ask to be bailed out i mean uh you know, the UAW was right there. The president of the UAW was right there with them. And and, you know, and, as, on, and as I understand it, the way the Obama administration ultimately structured the bailouts, the UAW got to cut in, essentially cut in line in getting paid back. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the term, the terms, basically it was the UAW, because it, as you recall, it, they almost fell apart because the automakers made such a bad uh, showing at the, at the first place. And it was the UAW that stepped in and got the Obama administration to do that. But they did it with very favorable terms for themselves, uh, at least for their existing members. Now, one of the things the, that they did about this was because because the members did have to take a haircut. What they did was they allowed existing members to, yeah, they, they uh, created a two-tier, created a two-tier right. salary structure for the people, the existing union members, and then for new hires. Right, and the new hires got the, the short end of the stick. And the the thing that struck that, struck, that stood out to me about that then, because I was actually there at the congressional hearings and, and watching all this stuff, was I mean, just the you know the UAW president coming up to them and slapping them on the back, and you know uh, you know shaking hands, and everybody you know, with the the. Uh, you know the auto company presidents. I mean, these these guys were all buddies who you know hung out together, and and, and it sort sort of showed in the way that they were making the presentation to Congress. And it's that level of sort of intimacy, if you almost say that that you know was what resulted in you know these sort of sort of bribe and kickback scandal. And this is, and we're only talking about Fiat Chrysler. It also should be noted that um, the feds are also 
uh, probing a very similar situation involving General Motors. Mm. Um, so looking, you know, looking forward with the settlement as it was agreed, and then, um, you know, were there were there were there missed opportunities? I mean, there there was a lot of reporting. Again, this isn't as severe as what was handed down against the Teamsters or what was agreed with the Teamsters back in the. Uh, back in the turn of the 80s and 90s uh, you know were, were there were there reforms or oversight that was left on the table well I mean what they what they need to do is ask if the UAW members want to be represented by this union at all I mean they haven't had a chance to vote on membership uh, of being represented by uh, you know, the UAW since the 1940s. That was when the last of the big three was organized. This was all during World War II. Was, or, and you know, and the, the World War II under a completely different labor law regime before the Taft-Hartley Act. Before the you know, completely different labor law regime, completely different leadership of the uh, auto companies, and completely different leadership of the unions, and completely different yeah, membership I mean, of the unions. I mean, you know, there's, you there's a person alive today who works, you know, for, for the you know, was around to actually voted on on this, right? And 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 again, you mentioned the change in leadership. I, the, you know, I, I've studied the sort of nineteen fifties investigations into labor corruption, and you know, Barry Goldwater and the Republicans really wanted to get Walter Reuther. They were pretty, they were sure because he was, you know, he was a big social democrat. He was a pretty lefty guy. Uh, they were hoping that. And and of course the the Teamsters were seen as the as the Republican union and uh, and they were of course all mobbed up and all corrupt, so you know Goldwater and the Republicans wanted wanted to to hang hang one on Reuther and Reuther was clean they weren't able to do it uh, or at least as clean as a labor union official could be and he was clean again, relatively speaking yeah clean relatively speaking you know clean compared to Jimmy Hoffa and the. Uh, the what what's again amazing is how that has how that has changed at his you know at his union that the you know now seven you know seventy years later it's the UAW who are the are the ones who are most obviously and presently corrupt. Yeah, um, and. And it's it's because I mean the you know the Teamsters have actually been monitored and uh, looked over, which isn't to say that there there isn't still uh, some scandals, um, and, you know, and, and or some shady stuff going on. Yeah, no, on, again, on their it's, side, it's, it's different. It's different between like La Cosa Nostra is actually picking, you know, local union bosses and. A local union official was caught with his hand in the till and has to pay ten thousand dollars in restitution. Right. You know the, the 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 federal oversight of the Teamsters, give it credit, did mostly and to a reasonable extent break the mob control of that labor union. <laughs> yeah, it did. And um, well, the other and the other issue is the. the, the the mob isn't really believed to have a, any type of significant, as or at least as significant a presence uh, at the UAW. I mean, I'm I'm not an inside, uh, you know, a federal federal guy, so I, I wouldn't be able to comment on the organized crime aspects of it. But by reputation, I mean the UAW has not had that issue. Yeah, no, it, it uh, seems it seems to be that this was 
the Fiat Chrysler executives and the UAW executives getting together and scratching each other's backs with money they shouldn't have been scratching each other's backs with. Yeah, it's, it's classic white collar crime um, yeah. is what this is. And, and, it, and it comes from that sort of cozy relationship and the fact that, you know, they've always been able to take uh, the relationship for granted. I mean, uh, you know, the, UA, the UAW knows it's always going to be representing the, um, uh, you know, the workers at the, the main three big three Detroit automakers. Yeah, Detroit three, yeah. Yeah. And um, doesn't have to worry about that. To the, to the extent that they have any concerns, it's, you know, the relative health of those companies and, you know, the, you know, uh, foreign, foreign company, foreign rivals. I mean, they've attempted yeah, and, to organize. And, and it's not like they're going to have to face, at, at least unless the proce- reform procedures that have been proposed in the settlement are adopted, it's not like they would even have to face the unlikely possibility of a rival unionist cha- challenging them for their union officership. And I mean, there have been there have been you know lawsuits by members of the UAW against against their union for you know related to this corruption case where they you know you know you know members saying that they've been ripped off, and but they just don't they don't ultimately have a choice, and that that's the the problem with this Justice Department settlement is and 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 to the to the well, department's it's credit, and it's a, they, it's a, they, well, it's a problem with the existing labor law right. is that there is that there is no. Uh, there is nothing in federal law that says that unions have to stand, have to periodically prove that they maintain majority support. Right, there is not. There have been proposals to add, to amend uh, the NLRA to do that, but it's never gone anywhere for the obvious reason because it would be very disruptive yeah, to a lot of unions. La- labor union, labor unions don't like it, and and for the, some of the reasons we've been saying about the coziness between labor and management, which were exposed by this UAW scandal, there are people in management who don't like the idea of the union having to actually go to the members and say, "This is what we did for you." Right. Well, and that's because I mean, there's it's something of a myth that. Um, um, you know, uh, business and unions are always at each other's throats. I mean, in cases where industries aren't heavily organized, that's often the case. But where they are, um, where they have where, to where work they, with each other, been, where they've been organized for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's the price of co- it's the cost of doing business, and you, and you operate from that perspective. And it's also worth noting that I mean, you want the devil. If you're the business executive, you want the devil you know, not the unpredictable one. That, right. The, that, the, the that, last th- the last thing you want if you're GM or if you're GM or Fiat or Ford is that. That the UAW that you know and you've dealt with and you have histories of dealing with and you, your guys know their guys and some of their guys were your guys and some of your guys were their guys and then they get booted by the workers and they're replaced with someone even either more radical or who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And and that could happen. I mean, there's 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 something of a misconception that um, you know, a union has to uh, a union can only represent the workers that its name implies. I mean, a un, a na- the name of a union is just a union. The UAW represents, for example, uh, you know, assistant graduate school teachers and, casino and such. Workers. Yeah, and casino workers and others. There, there's no there's no law that says they only have to represent auto workers. It's just the tr- sort of tradition, and because auto workers tend to have a common interest that that. That's the reason why people tend to congregate in particular unions. But there's no reason why a different union couldn't come in and you know get uh, the bargaining rights for the workers for uh, you know those factories and do it differently. And I'm off. There's, and there's no way nobody ever asks the the members themselves if that's what they want. And you, the one thing that. You know the government could do as part of this if they don't want to disrupt things, just have a just you know when they're doing the vote for reforming the elections, have a non-binding vote to ask them whether that whether they still want the workers whether they still want to be represented by the UAW. It, you know it will tell us a lot, 
and it may you know, be something that would light the fire for honest, genuine reform of the union if people said, no, we don't want them anymore. So uh, before we conclude, anything, you, any uh, work that you'd like to plug, either by yourself or your colleagues? Uh, um, uh, that's a good question. I, I wish I'd, I wish I'd thought about it beforehand. Uh, I'm certain there's something, but nothing that pops uh, immediately to head. Um, you know, as, as we're recording this, of course, it's, uh, December 17th. So a lot of people's heads are, uh, in Christmas shopping and, and whatnot. So, uh, that's sort of where I am. Well, Sean, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, that is our show for this week. Uh, next week we'll be, we will be off in observance of Christmas Eve. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating.